Hello, my name's Charlie Winston and this is my podcast called As We Are, which is inspired by my most recent album, As I Am. It's discussions with people who interest me and inspire me. Some of those people you may know, but others you may never have heard of. But that's not the point, you see, because I'm simply interested in people. So, without further ado, I shall let you discover this episode. Take me as I am. The following conversation is with an old friend of mine called Christina Greer. Based in New York, she's a professor of political science with her primary research and teaching interests being racial ethnic politics, American urban centres, presidential politics, campaigns and elections. She is the author of Black Ethnics, investigating the increasingly ethnical diverse black populations in the US from Africa and the Caribbean, and is a frequent political commentator on several media outlets. She's often quoted in media outlets such as the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Newsday and the AP. She is the co-host of the New York-centred podcast FAQ NYC and is the producer and host of Aftermath on Aussie.com and also writes a weekly column for the Amsterdam News, which is one of the oldest black newspapers in the US. She did this podcast from her apartment in New York City, so the sound is sometimes a little bit compromised due to traffic outside, but I think it's good enough for all of us to understand what's being said. So without further ado, here is our conversation. So up here a little bit. Right. So here is my podcast of As We Are with Christina, Dr. Christina Greer. But I don't know, I, ha- I don't personally call you Dr. Christina Greer on a regular basis when we talk. Uh, how, no. can I, how can I call you? Do, should I stick to that name? I feel like since we've known each other since 1999, I think we can go with Chrissy. Okay, quite. Great. <laughs> it's a lot easier. So, right, it's a lot easier for you to call me the thing that you've called me for yeah. 20 some odd years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, we'll go into how we met soon. But uh, okay. at first, I, wanna, I need to introduce you as the Associate Professor of Political Science at Fordham University. That is correct, right? Mm-hmm. And also the author of Black Ethnics, a book that you wrote in two th- or published in 2013. And I'm sure there are other, many other roles uh, by which you can describe yourself. And so before we go any further, I'd like you to list a few. Could you describe a few roles that you play in your life? Yeah. Well, I have a podcast yeah. called The Blackest Questions, yeah. and that's uh, a podcast about kind of black history, which I argue black history is American history. So I invite people on and ask them questions about sort of lesser known facts. You know, a lot of Americans know about Martin Luther King and Frederick Douglass, but this is about inventors and history and dates and uh, places that we should all know as Americans, I would argue, maybe just as, as citizens of the world. Um, and then I have another podcast called FAQ.NYC, and that's like a super wonky, nerdy <laughs> New York City politics podcast. We talk about the mayor and city council and you know, land use and you know subways. So I'm, I have a passion for cities and urban politics. So that's another podcast that I do. And then, yeah, so you're a podcaster. That's one of your roles. Yeah, I'm a podcaster. And then I do voiceover stuff <laughs> for TED-Ed. Um, so people write videos. I've written a few, but people write videos about different topics, and I record them. So what, are, so, um, what about non-professional uh, roles you play in your life? Like family, friends, um, like this kind of thing. What? Well, I'm a pank. What's that? Which is a professional, it's a professional aunt, no kids. <laughs> very, like that's, I'm very, very proud of that role. So I just do fabulous things with my nieces. Yeah. Um, you know, I've just like never wanted kids. Yeah, fair you enough. You know, and like that's kind of a, a statement that, you know, a lot of people find odd. But um, um, I, I just, I like traveling and I like traveling with these two really interesting, amazing mini versions of my sister who I'm very close to. Yeah. So <laughs> they're similar, but not the same. Um, and then, you know, I travel a ton. Mm. And so COVID was a little difficult mm. because I was landlocked for a while, yeah. you know? And for me, it's like, I'm like Mark Twain. I have to leave America to understand America. Wow. Yeah. Like so much like of, James Baldwin, of who I am. Yeah. I mean, he liked to live in France. Um, he said that he, Twain liked he, to just like sorry, come and go. He liked to come and go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, he, I mean, he said that he he had to get out of America to, to understand it better. At least he said that on a yeah. thing I saw. 
You know, like Khalil Gibran says, you know, the mountain is viewer clearer to the climber when the climber has left the mountain. Mm. That's the way I feel about this country. I have to leave America to like That's better understand. Very interesting you say that because that reminds me of a, another podcast I did recently with a friend of mine, uh, um, old friend as well, Wayne Ellington. I don't know if you ever met him, but he's a. Any, anyway, he he made reference to a mountain. It was it was a biblical reference of an, e- an eagle flying when it senses danger, senses a storm coming. It will fly up to the top of the mountain to protect mm. itself but it has to yeah but anyway that's an, that's another thing so well i mean i'm a birder so i'm totally into that so i i am another role birder. yeah i'm a serious birder like i don't know birds you know the way you know major people who do serious birding but you know i have my binoculars i'm like a tree hugger so as i study cities i live in cities i can't imagine not living in a city but there's really great bird diversity in cities there's Great bird diversity in New York, which is where I am. Yeah, um, and I really got into it. So I actually like have written articles for Living Bird magazine, which is like wow. a, a birding journal yeah. that I'm really into about um, how it is that we can kind of take some time and just like take a beat, you know, yeah. and observe birds and patterns and protect them and okay. All these a quick bird things. question: what, except for a pigeon, what's the most uh, common bird in New York? Oh, I don't know. We've got lots of seagulls. We've got lots of... Um, lots of peregrine falcons as well, right? They live in... We do have a few, like in, in the Bronx, there are, yeah. the folks have seen some. We've got um, little sparrows, lots and lots yeah. of sparrows. Um, you know, because we're around so much water, yeah. you know, we've got actually like, you know, because we have these marshes, we've got really interesting bird diversity. I mean, you can see like egrets, you know, if you sort of go out in Queens and near the airport, the airport always has really great bird diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much water around there. Um, so, yeah. So when I met, when, 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 I mean, like you said, we've known each other since 1999 and uh, we met you when you were doing, you were at, um, you were in SOAS, which is this um, School of African and Oriental Studies, isn't it? Oriental and African Studies, or the other way part of University of um, London. Yeah, and um, and I I was a singer in a reggae band, and I came and play. I came and did a gig at Soas, and at the end of the gig, you 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 sh- you showed up and went hey like that, and we ended up having it. <laughs> at least that's how I remember it. I mean, maybe you that's, have to. It's probably no. That sounds that sounds about right. And um, <laughs> usually that person's like, "Hi, I'm Chrissy. Yeah. Like everyone should know me." <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and so that that's that's been it ever since. But you know what's always struck me about you is your joie de vie as they say in France and you're you're a fun person but what is amazing is how you express yourself with fun and joy even in conversations which are really difficult and how you've kind of turned your professional life um yeah. you know I'm I don't I've never seen you in in college or university sorry you know being the teacher that you are and I'm sure you're a very serious one when when necessary but but I can also pretty much guarantee that you're presenting stuff with a certain amount of joy as well. Oh, yeah. And when I see your podcasts, you know, you're fun and, and, and you just, you, you, you put this element of fun, which is amazing. What, how would you describe your teaching methods? Well, I take teaching really seriously. I'm from like four generations of educators. So I used to teach early mornings, like 8.30 in the morning. For college kids, you know, that's like... The crack of dawn. Uh, yeah. So I have to make it entertaining. And there's, you know, some professors are like, it's not my job to entertain you. Like, it's all about the work. And I'm like, no, I actually need to pull you in yeah. and, like, get you interested in it. So yeah. my teaching style is very conversational. Yeah, cool. So I'm just having a conversation. I know the material so well. It's not like I have to read notes. I've got, you know, slides just to help kind of guide me so I don't go off on, you know, too many tangents. But the same way, you know, having a conversation with me is like having 15 different conversations at once. It's like we've got a whole bunch of stuff on the table. That's basically the way I teach. So I'm like, hey, hold that thought because let's have a quick tangent. Let me tell you about this. So I'm just trying to make it seem like, you know, so much of American politics is like you have to understand history. But it's filled with drama and intrigue and shady characters, and chaos, and mayhem. And for some students, I'm teaching them, you know, for the first time, like, helping them think about these people that they've heard about, but, like, in a different lens. Because it's, like, it's college now. So, like, we're not going to have this sort of 
lower level conversations anymore. So you've always been taught that George Washington, who's our first president, is like this amazing character. It was like he was like a rapist, yeah. slave owning, horrible criminal yeah. who hunted down this little black girl to the last day that he died. He ripped the teeth out of his enslaved Africans and wore them. So we have this whole story about how he had these wooden teeth and he had dentures and isn't that cute? It's like no 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 no. He was like he did all of these things. Yeah. <laughs> And that are real. And so how we can hold two things to be true at the same time. So like, yes, he did sort of help develop this nation in the midst of a genocide against Native peoples, keeping that in mind too. But, you know, he did help found a lot of the democratic principles of this nation. He helped sort of leave office when he should have. So we had peaceful transference of power that sort of set us on a path and we're on a shaky path right now. So like, I can have a conversation about this man and now all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, who is this? You know, so now they're more interested in that's, this, that's, that's, not just George Washington, but the idea of democracy. I would like to ask you what makes us who we are, but I'd like to frame it in, the, um, in, in language. And because when I've, when I, what I'm really interested in is, is that expression is so much about how, is what words we choose, how we express ourselves through words, language, et cetera. And, and then there's dialect as well. And it's been really interesting watching your pod, listening and watching to your podcasts because there is a certain dialect, dialect that we use for certain people. I mean, we all do. We're from this, from this group of people that we know to this group of people. We'll change the way we speak. And, and I was wondering, like, in that sense, um, how do you find who, what makes us who we are in terms of dialect and language and that kind of thing when you're as doing what you're doing and going between different groups of people? Are you talking about like code switching or just dialect? Oh, I guess I'm, I'm talking about code switching perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Cause I mean, you know, there are two totally different things. So the first one about like dialect, I've just, I've been trying to get a lot better at like, choosing words that are the specific word that I want to use. Yeah. Because that way there's no confusion, you know? So like with my students, you know, when they say slave, I'm like, you know, you can say whatever you want, but I'm just letting you know, I don't use that word anymore. And so they're like, oh, well, what do you mean? Cause it's like slave is like a noun, you know, pen, table, chair, slave. But I was like, I use the, the, the sort of dialect of enslaved African or like enslaved person. Mm. Just so it reminds me that it's a relationship between two people. Yeah. One person is doing the enslaving and yeah. the other person is enslaved. So like, so there's that part that I'm trying to get better at to like be very deliberate so that I can have a clear picture of what I'm talking about and like how I fit into that narrative. But then in the States and I mean, obviously in England too and in other countries, we've talked a lot more about code switching. There's actually a, a black celebrity right Could now. You just, who, um, just ex- yeah, describe so what code switching. code switching means exactly. So it's sort of like when African Americans primarily, it's like if I'm talking to my girlfriends and I'm like, hey girl, what's up? Ugh, you know, and we can just sort of have like a shorthand. Yeah. But if I'm in my department meeting where I'm the only black person at the table and I have, you know, sort of, I have to prove yeah. myself consistently, then I speak in a more formalized fashion. I might speak slower. I might sort of use all my fancy vocabulary words from, you know, all the years of schooling as opposed to, hey girl, what up, right? When I'm speaking to other people. So that's code switching and a lot of people do it in extreme ways. I think we all do it. All the yeah, time. to a certain extent. Yeah. But for African Americans, especially in the States, it's been a huge, mm. huge conversation. Of um, and there's a woman who just got a major sort of television contract um, to have like a either a cooking show or a talk show. Um, and I, I think they wanted her to essentially code switch in a way that she wasn't comfortable with. Mm. And so she was essentially saying, I became a YouTube star being authentic and who mm. I am. So now that you want me to be a TV star, I'm not actually going to start changing the way I am no, yeah. and speaking differently because that's actually not why people fell in love with me. People fell in love with me because I'm authentic. Yeah. And so... You know, Steve Harvey, who's kind of a major TV star in the United States, African-American man, he hosts Family Feud. He has his own talk show. Um, he's hosted, like, uh, beauty pageants. He's had sitcoms. He's toured as a comedian, you know, for the Kings of Comedy with three other comedians. He's a major deal. Yeah. Uh, and, his, and used to be a radio personality, actually, when I was in high school in Chicago. Uh, and has sort of worked his way up yeah. during the comedy circuit and, and media worlds. 
But he's very sort of, he comes from kind of like a black Southern tradition and he, you know, doesn't speak the Queen's English, if you will. And he talks openly about time and time again how different agents and producers and lawyers and, you know, folks who make TV are like, well, if you change, you know, you become palatable, essentially palatable to white people. Yeah. Right? That's what they're saying. Um, and just change the way you speak and, you know, speak this way and, you know, mimic this person then then you'll be successful. And he's always made the argument, but I've always been successful. Yeah. And so like the more I double down on who I am and I speak how I want to speak and I don't code switch, that's actually what helps me maintain. But I get, I guess it's also, you know, educating both sides in a way. Like, I mean, clearly the black community are making that effort to, like you just said yourself about, it's not just about making an effort to become like uh, to to be able to communicate better with white people or something like that. It's just about being more precise in what you want to say or, or knowing with whom you're communicating with. That's exactly. the point. And so, of course, you know, the black community is going to be uh, making that effort, but also the white community are going to have, uh, we, we need to make an effort to understand the kind of um, the, the codes as well that, that black people have. I mean, I enjoy listening to those conversations i'll enjoy listening to the like for, let's just go back to the first example of you in your podcast when you introduced uh, today i was watching one with um a girl who's who wasn't who was a who was a um a lawyer and she became a tv uh, host oh ebony k williams yeah, yeah. And, you know, she's, and, she's a lawyer but became real housewives yeah. of, a, of new york exactly. star. yeah that's it that's it and 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 and, and, and I enjoyed all the language, you know. I mean, I, I wouldn't personally speak like that because it would be ridiculous. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I can't imagine. But it's nice to it's kind of nice to educate and and change my own shift my own sense of like of paradigm in terms of language, you know. Well, I think what's also interesting is like you know, and I throw around this phrase all the time. But having written a book about it, I need to not. But like, you know, when we talk about sort of like the black community, it's like there is none, right? Yeah. I mean, like there is and there isn't because, you know, I, I wrote about ethnic communities, but there's like there's class differentials, there's geographic yeah. differentials. So there's some people, some black people who fundamentally believe in code switching. Right. They think it is imperative. It's necessary. White folks should not sort of hear our sort of dialect when we're together and comfortable. Others are just like, no. How I am with my girls, you know, at 3 a.m. is how I'm going to show up at work. And maybe and both like, are right. Maybe both are right. Yeah, you know? both can be true at the same time. I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but I mean, if this is you know, what this is all about, it's about who I am. It's about as I am, you know, as mm -hmm. I am. And if you want, if you feel that you're, you're, you know, in terms of, it's the same as religion. You know, we can't, if we're going to be a democracy, as it were, if that word even has any kind of, clout anymore right. like but if we are going to be a democracy or think democratically then religion has to have a it has to be free for everybody and to choose what they do and and to respect that that's your way and in the same way it's it's with your choices to how with how we communicate with each other mm -hmm. yeah the, the other song that i wanted to sort of lead into a question was was uh, um often the one i start with in the podcast and it's algorithm and do you think that the way that we encounter algorithms, the way that we encounter technology, it has an effect on the quality in the sense of the way that you're, you're dealing with the quality? Um, and is it affecting, is, that, is it helping or is it hindering the use of? Yeah, it's so interesting you say that. I literally was having this conversation with someone two days ago. Um, because so you're, you, you've done some preparation i'm glad yeah no i mean i've been thinking about this a lot because here's the thing technology and these algorithms are now linking like-minded people which on the one hand goes back to our the beginning of our conversation where isn't it wonderful that like a we can be friends over space and time right largely like because of technology right you know, I, I still write letters. I just don't write them as much as I used to because now it's like I can send you a quick text <laughs> or a quick WhatsApp or a quick email. I mean, there's so many ways that I can actually communicate with you easily, yeah. seamlessly, actually, while you're traveling, I'm traveling, you're at base camp at home, you know, all these things. Yeah. And then we can find like-minded people. So there are people who enjoy your music and they don't live in France 
right? They they can live yeah. in New Zealand yeah. or America. And so like there are these positive ways that we can find other people like us. Yeah. And before, you know, I always use that it's like a T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis, we can't figure out who, who actually said it, but like we read to know we're not alone. Now, nowadays, in a lot of ways, it's like we're online to know we're not alone, right? Is it coincidence that both of us have on red glasses right now? Like there's <laughs> something that, you know, it's like linked us and we saw something and it's, it's interested us. So that's the really positive part. Yeah. The negative slash scary part is people who have more sinister intentions and aren't filled with joy and kindness and love can also find those folks very easily and around the world. So when you think about someone like Dylan Roof, Dylan Roof was the young white boy from a few years ago in South Carolina who walked into the the black church and killed nine people after he prayed with them and like sat with them for hours and they welcomed him. And he's, you know, 16 years old and just opened up and killed elders and whatever. And then the cops, you know, took him to Burger King before they actually arrested him. That's a whole nother part of what this country is. But here's the thing. In the pictures that they found, you know, in his in his belongings, he's wearing a Rhodesian flag. So the flag of Rhodesia before Rhodesia becomes Zimbabwe. Right. And like that flag is like linked to the Nazi flag. Right. And the Nazi flag is linked to the Confederate flag. So you have Germans who can't fly the Nazi flag because it's actually illegal. Yeah. So they'll fly, like, they'll have the Confederate flag in their possession, right? America never banned the Confederate flag, but that's sort of like a shortcut dog whistle. So it's like, you can fly the flag of certain nations that have oppressed people and done atrocities and committed mass genocide. And, you know, when we had January 6th and folks were storming the Capitol, it's like, you saw a lot of Confederate flags, you saw a lot of Nazi flags. So, like, these folks have now been galvanized through an algorithm to join up forces with folks, not just in the United States, but like across the world who believe, whether it's white supremacy, whether it's patriarchy, whether it's anti-black sentiments, whether it's anti-Asian, anti-Jewish, anti-Muslim, you can go through all the antis. You can find that group pretty seamlessly. Mm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you know, 4chan, Reddit, I mean, websites that I've never even been on, but like we know that they exist and it's super easy for you to sort of put in an algorithm. And then once you sort of put in one thing, it's like, oh, you're into this? Then let's keep digging. And they can introduce you then to sort of new things as well that you possibly didn't even think. And false truths. know that you were interested in. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. It's It's horrifying in many ways. But I mean, you know, many aspects of the world are horrifying on a regular basis. It's... I guess it's depending on what kind of lens we see the world through. You know, what, yeah. I mean, but of course... I choose to see it through the positive lens. Positive lens, the thing is I think I, there's an element of reality that, that, that's always worth checking out as well and not being afraid yeah. to see reality. Because it's, it's very easy to, like, um, an, an aspect which I've talked about before is how another danger of algorithms is that we can get a very radicalized view of the world so if you always Mm want to just see good stuff you can always just see good it it. will always feed you that stuff even if it's not true and just keep feeding the same stuff until your vision is so myopic that it's right you know you're not really getting a, a counterbalance and there's this element of discussing and and hearing each other's opinion and also being able to speculate about stuff get things wrong which no one does anymore because as soon as you're not quite sure about something we straight go straight to the thing and text it and and i think there's something create i mean conversation also is also great thing about conversation i'm going on a slight um tangent here but you know i love a tangent a conversation is also about going on tangents and in the sense that we can get things wrong sometimes, but it's about being able to understand, to listen and understand and sort of find out stuff together, you know, and, and some, some of these radicalizing algorithms that we get into our life, our world can be completely against that sort of thing. And that's, I think there's a big danger. Well, I mean, that's why I love teaching because teaching for me is an intellectual journey. Yeah. Right. I have like three months with you, um, three and a half, depending, you know, sort of how we count the semester to sort of go on an intellectual journey. And where you end up is where you end up. You know, and the great thing is it's like some people you can see their progress over the span of three and a half months. Some people you don't see it. It's not like it's not there. So it's like being an educator for me is like sowing seeds. You're just throwing the seeds 
into the field, you're watering it every class period. And like for, for some students, you like see a massive crop at the end of the semester yeah. and it's great. And then others, it, they circle back, sometimes a few months, semesters later, sometimes a few years later. And it's like, hey, I finally got the thing that we were talking about. Like, I finally get it. And it's like, it's been six years. Who knew? But this is the whole point. You know, like if you've ever had a plant and all of a sudden one day it just flowers and it's like, where did you come from? You know? <laughs> but I, I think that you're so right with this myopic view just because, you know, when you think about it, at least for our right wing media, I mean, it's like Hillary Clinton. I mean, they talk about her like she's like the president. You know, it's like all the cities are filled with rapists and crime. And it's like that's actually it's just not true. Mm. Like you all haven't even been to a city. You know, yeah. like you have no idea, but you know, it's always like migrants are running across the border, raping everyone. It's like, they're not, they're absolutely not. But I think with algorithms, algorithms now, whatever you're into, you can find, you can find your tribe. Yeah. And there's a good part about that. And there's a really bad part about that. As well, well, it's like you said about language. It, for me, and I hope this is something that we're learning, learning as we go with technology, the development of it is 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 understanding like in the way you said about about the um code switching being in the middle i like the fact you said i'm somewhere in the middle i think it's great to understand that we've got a part of us our beliefs our belief systems but then but here's sorry go ahead. well just to say that we have our belief systems but then there's another side as well and it's about being able to dip in and listen to it and then see what you think but here's the thing, and this is where it gets a little tricky, at least where we are in the States right now. I believe in hearing arguments. We're all entitled to our own opinions. We're not entitled to our own facts. Yeah. So right now there is this quest of like, well, we can listen to both sides. No, one side actually like is devaluing and diminishing and depleting my humanity. So actually that's not a conversation that I need to listen mm -hmm. to. And I'm pretty firm on that. Right. So it's like I believe in ideas. You know, I love a long dinner party. That's why COVID was so hard because it's like I couldn't have these like, you know, four hour wine filled, you know, <laughs> Greek, style. Yeah, I mean, basically. But I think, you know, there's a difference between an exchange of ideas and long form conversations where we tussle with exactly. ideas yeah. and someone who's just essentially saying you don't have the right to exist. Well, no, or like, I can look at you and say that, you know, you're intellectually in inferior to me because dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. So like that, unfortunately, is sort of so many people who believe that are trying to hide behind. Well, see, now Chrissy doesn't want to have an exchange of ideas. It's like, well, your ideas are saying that I'm not a full person. So actually, I don't have to listen to your ideas because they actually, it's not about me feeling good, but you've already actually calcified how you think. You're just now trying to couch it in a both sides conversation. Sure. You know, so yeah. this this both sides conversation kind of came up during Charlottesville. I don't know if you remember yeah. when those young white men yeah. sort of marched on a college campus in Virginia with swastikas, with Confederate flags and like tiki torches. And, you know, they were dressed in khakis and polo shirts and, you know, they they weren't quote unquote poor, that's also a stereotype. It's like the racists are poor people. It's like, no, 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 they're middle class, upper middle class. And so they were essentially saying Jews won't replace us, black people won't replace us, you know, women won't replace us. It's all kind of tied together for them. Um, and then the president at the time, Donald Trump, was like, well, they're good people on both sides, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like, no, actually, that's not, that's not something that we need to be promoting. Yeah. When they're sort of, you know, they've got fire in their hands, essentially saying we're going to burn this country down. And then you sort of see fast forward to, you know, 2021. So I think that's the difference between like the exchange of ideas that I'm into versus not into. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Trump. Uh, I, I mean, I probably would never have mentioned this, but one of the songs on my album is called Sweet Tooth. And it's a, it's um, it was kind of inspired by him and inspired by this, you know, this era that we've moved into of almost like clowns getting into the, the seats, powerful seats. Uh, um, he was the, you know, ultimate. And I'm not even saying, you know, well, I won't say anything about him except for the fact that I was very happy to see him go, of course, like many other people. But but it was just this bizarre period of time. And, I, and I, so I wrote Sweet Tooth as a sort of metaphor of someone who's kind of very greedy, you know, and just kind of going in for this kind of, this, and advocating greed in so many ways. Yeah. And, and, and not only greed, but um, 
ignorance in so many ways uh, and, yeah. and, and, and lies, like just blatant lying, changing one's mind. I say sweet tooth, I know what's this, um, you, you're looking like a hangover that keeps getting worse is the open line. And sweet, mm. sweet tooth, you, um, um, sweet tooth. you're looking like you want to be some kind of Jedi. Sweet tooth, getting loose and getting lawsuits by the dozen. Sweet tooth, who are you fooling with the trumped up talk, you big baby? Sweet tooth, mm. Scooby-Doo ain't got a thing on you, but that's the way you roll. So it's, uh, it's just that, it, it, but I mean, I was using him as my inspiration, but it was really like, um, there's this um, TV host in um, Latvia or something as well. And he, no, 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 sorry. It was the Ukraine, actually. The, the, the Prime Minister of the Ukraine. He's, he's actually, he was a TV comedian, you know. And I'm not, I'm just saying nothing against him. I'm sure he's gone through a very hard time these, these past months. But um, it does seem like we've moved into this era, era bizarre era. Uh, and it's like a storm that we don't quite know how it's in which much like the ecological issues we've got now. We don't, we can't really tell which way the weather's moving or where it's going to go next. You know, what, what do you think about that? Do you think we're in this kind of, um, you know, so as, as you said before, I've been thinking about these things a lot. Like, I don't know if we're in scarier times or if we're just more connected with yeah, people and well, ideas exactly. where yeah. we just now know the dangers that have always been there. It's just, they're so, so much more clear but it does feel like we're just on edge yeah just globally you know like a lot of i mean you know if you look at sort of democracies that have crumbled i mean america's kind of she's at her expiration date you know and like what happens you know we've never been so globally connected economically so like if if she falls and and falling and faltering may not look the way it used to look say 100 years ago even but like what does that mean economically for everybody else you know, you sort of think about like when Obama became president in 2009 and he had to like save the banks and, you know, save the the economic situation in the United States. It was because it's like we would have fallen off a cliff and dragged the rest of the world down with us. Yeah, sure. You know, I always think of it as sort of like if you're falling off the bed, and you're like, no, and you like grab all of the covers <laughs> and like you end up pulling everyone off the bed, too. Yeah. Um, and then you wake up and it was just a dream. It was just a dream. Um, so maybe we're just in a dream. Who knows? Simulation. But... Uh, I sometimes feel that way. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm on like the Truman Show where I'm like, what is going on? Is someone just following oh, me with the, the camera? I mean, that's, um, I can talk about that a lot. It's, it's, I feel that way a lot these days. But, you know, I, I don't know. It feels like, it, you know, I live in a city. I live in a large city. You know, it's 9 million people. It definitely feels like people are on edge. And as someone who studies cities, it's like, listen, when your money's funny... And like we're going through economic trials and tribulations globally, yeah. but definitely, you know, in the States that just your blood pressure is up. I mean, like, you know, you and I were friends when we were I was a broke college student. You were a broke musician. Yeah, I mean, like we so. barely had, you know, like 10 pounds together between the two of yeah. us to like get some fish and chips and a beer. So like the level of stress and limitations that you have on your life when you don't have money mm. is real. Oh. For sure, you know? without a doubt. And not saying that money cures everything, that's not what I'm saying no, at no. all, but it does bring down a certain level of anxiety and stress. So like how you can- It relieves a function, you know, a functional yeah. element. There's a functional element of, of money well, that you need. There, there are a lot of organizations in the States that are doing some really interesting experiments, like giving single mothers like $1,000 mm. a month. Just, Just like that. You use it for however you will, rent, food, whatever. But- what they found is like the mothers come back and they're like, this is the first time I can say yes to anything. Because wow. everything in my child's life is no. Yeah. So like, can I get an ice cream? No. Can I get, you know, McDonald's? No. Can I go to, you know, soccer practice? No, because we don't have money. So everything's a no because there's no money. But when you have a little bit of pocket change, it sort of allows you to be a yes person. It allows you to sort of approach the world from a, from a positive, yeah. not from a negative. Yeah. So I say all that to back into your question, which is the world feels a little stressed out right now. Do you now. really think that? Because you're, you're an optimist, you're a positive person, but do you still I'm, feel I'm that a way? I'm a pragmatic optimist. Yeah. But dealing with people, you know, I traveled a bit this summer. Um, so you felt it also you know, just, in Europe as well? Yeah, it's things that normally wouldn't stress people out feel like they have a bit more of an edge. There's a song called This Storm Too Shall Pass and it's taken from mm -hmm. a biblical reference, but it's 
it's kind of like uh, being able to see either being able to identify that something's coming but also when you're in the when you're in it are you able to be in the center of the eye of a storm and and and, and take a step back and see that this this is not you know this is going to pass yeah because i'm you know, I can't believe I'm quoting Winston Churchill, but hey, I mean, you're British. So it's like, you know, he's, his whole thing was, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> Don't stand there and look around, like keep walking. So it's like, I've gone through, you know, like graduate school or like after my car accident or, you know, I've had trials and tribulations. Now, granted, I've never been, you know, in abject poverty. You know, I've, I've never had sort of some real, real what struggles. Is your, that what know is your biggest, around. your biggest struggle, your biggest storm in your life? You've um, been through. Well, I mean... The biggest one, the first one was like this car accident where I was out of school for months and I had to like physically heal myself. You know, it's like a broken arm, broken leg, broken head, you know, just that was mentally, physically and emotionally just a very difficult time period, you know, and and also the doctors at the time, I mean, it's America. They had me on all types of drugs that I took myself off of because I was like, if I don't take myself off of these drugs now, I'm 16 years old. I will be on these drugs for the rest of my life. 16? 16. Oh, that was 16. So, like, I didn't know that. I'm literally on yeah. Oxy at 16. And I was like, I got to get off this. Like, I can already tell because it's just, I can just tell. So that was the first one. Then I think, you know, going to graduate school, there was, it was just a lot of, like, racial and sexual harassment that went down. You know, I'm at an Ivy League institution. Do you think that's led you to draw, to, the, to your drivers of what you do, what you advocate, what you talk about, what you teach. Do you think that's drive what drives what drives you to do what you do and talk about and I like puzzles. <laughs> and the biggest puzzle, you know, I mean honestly, you know, I'm born and raised in the States and like, you know, spent a lot of time in like strong black communities, but also with a lot of white people my entire life. And like this country is a puzzle to me mm, yeah. that I just can't seem to figure out. This is why I love Mark Twain, you know, yeah. because it's, I, mm. I really identify with him trying to solve this puzzle at the turn of the 20th century. Incredible I'm on the board of the Mark Twain house. That's how much I love Mark Twain. Um, You're on the board. And, yeah. Wow. And the thing is in high school, I hated this man, you know, when you, when you read Mark Twain and the real, the problem is it's not Mark Twain. There's just a lot of teachers who don't know how to teach Mark Twain. Okay. Oh, that's the issue. Yeah, right. The writing is there, yeah. but it's just people don't know how to like extrapolate it in a class, especially in a class where you have like one black student. And it's yeah. like, OK, so we're just all going to sit here and say the N word. Like, really? <laughs> and like, what are we doing? So, um, yeah, I just like I like trying to solve things. But the thing is, I think, you know, because I have I've had I'm just honestly like a relatively charmed life. Mm. You know, great parents. You know, they're. They got divorced when I was in college. So it's like, I'm not from a perfect family, but like at the end of the day, my family is my family, strong family. They believe strongly in friendship, mm. both of my parents. Like my dad's mantra is like, friendship is essential to the soul. Mm. So like a lot of their friends are family. Their kids are my cousins. You know, we've grown up in that strong uh, extended family mm. type of way. So I think that there's just a lot of goodness out there. Yeah, there really sure. is. For sure. And there's a lot of beauty. And it, because I love cities, I also have to love nature because you sort of get glimpses of it in cities. But, you know, I have to leave New York to love New York. Yeah, for sure. No, of course. But we have to sometimes... Well, that leads me on to a, a song called Exile. And um, mm. yeah, I mean, it's written on different levels, but I often talk about it as a means of conversation because it's... Um, I live in France. I'm English, and, and and I live in France. It's given, and also my music has, you know, it's mostly popular in France and Europe, and but it hasn't gone back so much to England. So in a way, it's kind of had its own its element of exile, and mm. and uh, and and then there's but there's also this element of um, exiling myself through trauma as well. You know, growing up in a hotel in a very chaotic bohemian world mm-hmm. uh, no family life not a lot of family life of course there was family family life but because it's four of you right yeah yeah, yeah three brothers and one sister and uh-huh. um and and so i kind of found through music and art and all that sort of stuff i sort of found a place to exile myself you know to find it and and but now since i've come and i live here with my wife and kids and we're a friendless family it, and over the years I've, I've, I've sort of, you know, been reflecting a lot on what this all means, what this all means in terms of my identity, you know, and I'm talking about this, mm-hmm. like, 
compared to what you know what we talked about earlier on with with, with what you talk about in black black ethnics and stuff. When I read that book, I was ironically seeing my own story and and, and much of what yeah. you're talking about, where I'm like, yeah, who am I? Like, what am I? Am I English? Am I still English now that I have a French family and I live in France and I'm learning French and I'm now learning the codes of of talking, mm-hmm. not just talking in English, but obviously talk when I talk French. A lot, if you want to be understood, you have to kind of put on the body language as well and the, the general sort mm-hmm. of mannerisms of the, and, the, and the jokes, the kind of funny ways to say stuff. Saying things in my Winstonian funny ways doesn't really go across very right. easily in French. And the things, and we both speak English, but we can have a whole conversation and have, you know, our definitions of the same words are totally different exactly. too. We, so yeah. like English humor is not American humor. Absolutely. That's why I hang out with a lot of comedians and I'm fascinated by comedians who do shows yeah. across countries because I'm like, you're, you're speaking in English, but American English. And like the jokes have to translate in like these very culturally specific ways. Yeah, I just podcasted a um, podcasted. Can you podcast someone? I just I, podcasted I a comedian actually. He's also he's an English okay. comedian living in France. That was why it was oh. sort of like yeah, he kind of magnetized. Uh, it was interesting right. hearing him about th- that same thing really. But um, I think you're right. You, it's we do understand ourselves better. By being a, a, you know, getting moved, not getting moved, but moving. I mean, there's obviously a big difference between choosing to go somewhere and, or, or, or yeah, or being exiled. However, mm-hmm. I'm interested in self-exile, which is something that we do as a, as a coping method, which is what I was talking about mm-hmm. earlier on. But, you know, when I read about, you know, just coming back to the sort of the movement, as it were, like... Uh, Frederick Douglass or Alaudo Equiano, you know these, and I'm reading that. Do you know Alaudo Equiano as well? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, sure and, do. and and I, I read his book this year, which was actually through a book I read called Debt. Do you know the book Debt by David Graeber? I saw it. I haven't read it. It is. I think it's on my incredible. shelf. Incredible. I often fall asleep to it. I've listened to it like five times because I just, I just love like the, the the madness of the history. But it talks. It's talking about the history of debt, and it all originates with slavery going back to the mesopotamian times to the greek times to the roman times to the medieval times i mean there was slavery throughout and it was a currency mm-hmm. it was a currency before it yeah. there was even the idea of bullion which is money you know which is actual coins yeah. and gold or anything like that you know it was just a currency selling your children and or, or selling your wife or you know, it's just madness right um, or building a country for free yeah, well, exactly as 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 like it's happened like in Egypt, free labor. happened in it happened America, yeah, yeah, and then the the last major one and probably the biggest yeah. one ever in the history yeah. of humanity was like, America. Let's build this country with free labor. Yeah, and it's so. Insane. I mean, that's like the the memes of you know now that we the president Biden is trying to absolve student debt, you know. And there are a lot of Republicans who are like, how could he do that? That's not fair. People shouldn't get free stuff. And it's like, so let's talk about this free country that we have. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that all this stuff was built but for I want to ask you, like, what's your, what's your vision of that whole thing? Do you think it's possible to, I mean, like, there's, okay, so there's this other, if I may, I'm going to slightly digress mm-hmm. again. But there's this, there's this Canadian writer. Um, called Stephen Jenkinson, and he has a book called *Come of Age*, and he's and he and it's called *The Case for Elderhood in a Time of Trouble*, and he's talking about mm. how important it is to look after our ancestors. It, it also mm. made me think of that's kind of links back to the, the observation about you, your gramps, yeah, <laughs> gramps. I love that. And I was I was going to say grandparents, but you, you got there first with gramps. That was I just great. Love and um, <laughs> I, I'm asking you to open my eyes here, like. With that being ancestry going that far back into 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 sort of the, the struggles of of slavery and all that kind of thing, uh, do, do you feel there's a there's an element of exile that they lived through? I mean, absolutely, probably the most brutal sense of exile where you just ripped from your home and suddenly it's social death, as it, as 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 what's his name Orlando Patterson puts it in his in his book, but. Do you, do you think there's that's part of the the the, the thing to take on uh, when you're gra- grappling with that history? 
Yeah, I mean, but I don't even know if we have to go all the way back. Is that too crazy to go that far? No, not at all. I go way back all the time. But, like, you know, for some people, it's like, well, I wasn't around, so I shouldn't have to, you know, deal with it. So it's like, okay, fine. Let's just deal with my grandparents. Yeah. Right? It's like there's a certain type of exile that you have if you can't be a free person in your own country. Yeah, of course. So you don't want to talk about my grandparents. Let's talk about my parents. Yeah. My parents went to segregated schools. Yeah. They're both I mean, it's in recent, their 70s. Right? Yeah. Recent. Yeah. Recent. So, like, we also have to recognize, like, some people got benefits that others didn't. Like, and they're still walking around among us, you know? Mm. So, and that's a certain form of exile as well, when you just can't be a full person. Like, my mom's never gone to school a day in her life with white people. Wow. She's only 74 years old. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Like, she only went to segregated schools. Wow. So, so and it's not like she didn't want to, you know, go to schools with other people, but like she lived in a part of the country where it was not possible. Yeah. So, and my dad integrated his high school. Yeah. In the 60s. Right. So like, this is like recent memory. Mm. And so I think that there's a real element of like being a stranger in your own country. So it's one thing like, you know, I talk about voluntary and involuntary immigration in my book but like you know you're a voluntary immigrant to france but you still feel this level of like exile sometimes and you know like you're not fully an expat because you can come and go to england as much as you want but like there's something different and you're like straddling two worlds and like they're quasi similar worlds in the sense that you know they're both democratic nations and you know it's not like you went from england to you know uh thailand or something like that but it's different and you feel it and you know it and there are ways that you feel othered. Yeah. And so I think what's complicated and the, the reason why I'm so interested in trying to solve this puzzle is like, because sometimes I feel like in the 21st century, I'm in exile in my own country and it's my country. Yeah. Like really ancestry wise, like I've been here longer than most white people. Mm-hmm. So why is it that I feel like the exile or why is it that I'm made to feel like the exile in what is, ostensibly my country more so than anybody else yeah sure if like if we if we really want to get technical it's like start putting cards on the table it's like well it's more mine than yours so why is it you know what is it about this black prefix what is it about my skin color what is it about all these other things that make it such that i don't feel fully comfortable and whole and safe in my own country but what i what was so interesting about reading your book black ethnics is that and it's something i don't think that i had really crossed my mind until I read the book is how there's like you said black people can so and I've, I've I'm sure I've made this mistake many times and just in this conversation it's like put them into one pot you know and yeah and, and it's it's a lot of pots so many pots <laughs> not everybody gets along in the pots not really, exactly <laughs> and you've got you've got people who are like you call them African Americans and then you've got people coming who are new uh, mm-hmm. New African American or New Americans or New yeah. So I, I just know, there's different I categories. Say Black Americans, like for people who've been here forever, who are like descendants of slavery, right? U.S. Mm. chattel slavery. I say Black Americans just to make it easier. And then like yeah. you know, people who are immigrants from Africa, yeah. I say African Americans. And then people who are immigrants from the Caribbean, I say Caribbean Americans. But don't forget, you've got so many Caribbean nations that have a lot of different histories, and a lot of different relationships with England, with the Americas, yeah, sure. with France. <laughs> with with the Dutch. So like when and how they were colonized makes them a very unique country. So like when they come here, they have very specific and unique relationships. You know, so like someone from like Martinique or Guadeloupe or Haiti, all three colonized by the French, very different relationships. Mm. Mm. Right? So, you know, you think about kind of your British West Indies versus your US West Indies, you know? And so like that, Complicates or African nations, those that are colonized by the French versus the Dutch versus the Portuguese versus the British, you know, um, or the Italians. Like, yeah. and the thing, what ties the, all these things together, if, if I may interject, sorry, is is how when we're talking about the exile and when we're talking about what, who am I in all of this, and it's also, um, it's all. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you remember. I used to have really bad backache all the time. I mean, went my whole life. I I pretty much had. I didn't always talk about it, so maybe it, we don't kind of recall it. But 
it was so chronic when I was on tour uh, by my third album that it was like I was close to quitting music because I couldn't face going on tour with such oh, wow. chronic backache. I tried everything. And then, I mean, everything, obviously medicinal. Okay. And then like all the alternative medicines. Like acupuncture. acupuncture and- reflexology, um, Reiki. Uh, osteopaths physio i mean i regularly had physiotherapists oste- osteopaths massages wherever i went you know it's just like it was a money pot apart from anything but you know also anti-inflammatories like always had a packet of anti-inflammatories or oh, and then i went to the tetrazepams and all that sort of stuff to try and alleviate anyway the point is is that i never I, and i did eeg scan sorry not eeg that's the brain but see um spect scans um um you know, I got to like 2015, 16, and I was like, right, I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get my whole back x-rayed. And I did the thing and I went to see the neurologist and he said, Well, Charlie, you've got a very healthy back. And I was like, No. <laughs> and then how? What, you know. Was he saying it was psychosomatic? Well, he wasn't. He 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 recommended me a, a, a lifetime of uh, of drug taking of, of ibuprofens, basically, and, and taking it three or four hmm. times a day. Uh, which was actually not at all what I wanted to do. But I was going, I'd gone down so many roads, I, I kind of decided that psychosomatic was probably a good road. Anyway, I discovered this book by um, a guy called Dr. Uh, John E. Sano, who's from New York. He died in 2017 when I discovered him. And he spent his whole lifetime um, developing psychosomatic medicine. And uh, mm. he it started off, half of his career was working with psycho, uh, physiotherapists, Second half of the half of his career, he switched to psychotherapists, and some of them have extracts in his last book. And I actually called one from this cabin um, in summer of 2017, and and then went to uh, went to meet them. I had to have a consultation, had a, had the consultation, and then worked with him for nine months. And after that, I was pain free, and I haven't really had any pain ever since. It's just like completely miraculous. Anyway, it sent me down this path of um, diving into the unconscious mind, which is where it all stems. Mm-hmm. It's all about protection. It's my unconscious mind trying to protect me, basically. And uh, what I've learned is that it's all about programming, how we've been programmed, how we program ourselves. And this is what's led me to write this album, As I Am, because it's now I'm really on this path of observing myself as I am without, without being identified too much to the the am and more to the you know the yeah. i as the conscious mind yeah and it makes me realize how we have got so much programming like algorithms going on in our in our unconscious mind that we don't even realize you know an example an example of that is uh, which ties in the whole conversation is when i saw um uh when i saw the film uh, on um uh, james baldwin i don't know if you've seen the film meeting the man james baldwin in paris it's such oh, an incredible documentary so. because he has yeah. three Eton, ex-Eton boys come from London, white boys, obviously. We're like, oh, you're, you're a really great writer. We love what you do. And coming in to meet him and do a documentary on him, which he agrees to. And then like a week in, he's like, I can't talk to you. And they're like, why? We, we, we love your work. And he said, but you don't, there's no way I can communicate to you what I'm trying to communicate through my work. And it's not, it wasn't through any fault of their own. It was through the fact right. that they're, they're so preconditioned, like that we need a huge paradigm shift, which is basically is happening over, paradigm shifting takes a long time. Another song is called Shifting Paradigms. But it takes, you know, for me personally to shift my paradigms, it's taking a lot of examination on things some things pop and go oh yeah cool but i think you know the understanding who we are through through the exile thing and everything it's also about understanding what what how we've programmed ourselves and how we operate yeah. on a level which is not even you know we're aware of right i agree with that 1000% i mean i think i have to I think I have a really strong fortitude to block out a lot of stuff because if I didn't, I would just go insane, especially living in America. Like, 
when, you know, it's so interesting, like when the Me Too, so for example, like when Me Too happened a few summers ago and, you know, people start writing all these stories about what happened. You know, it's like my boss, you know, massaged my shoulders or like said I had beautiful legs or, you know, like kissed me on, on the lips or whatever. And, you know, I like texted a few of my close friends and I was like, is this sexual harassment? Because if so, like, we're on like 10 for 10 in this shit. Mm. Like, so there's certain things that have happened so frequently and just with such reckless abandon, I just thought like, oh, that's just, it's normal. Like, oh, it's normal that most of the men I've ever interacted with in a professional setting have accidentally kissed me on the lips. Yeah. I just thought like, oh, well, we went in for a hug and like they accidentally went left and I went left and boom, we kissed. It's like, really though, Chris? Like, back up. Like, really? So it's like, you know, wow. But like, that's something where if I thought about that, if I thought about all the instances from age basically 15 to I'm 44 now, you'll be 44 soon, so TikTok. But like, you're going to be 44. Uh, me, thanks. I just turned 44. Yeah, okay, right. Congratulations. Um, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> right. But you know, it's like, if I allowed myself to think about like, all of the slights, the racial slights, all of the like, what I thought was like low-key sexual harassment, then I was like, wow, people are really like suing folks and like making millions out here. It's like, oh my God, who knew that these were like, you know, litigable offenses? I literally just thought it was like the cost of doing business of like being a woman in a professional setting. So I think that there's a certain part of the brain that allows one to like protect themselves. Yeah. It's not always great, but it's like, you know, the, I was just in a board meeting Zoom call with, this older gentleman who I just, I don't like, you know, like I didn't like him before he said anything. And it's like, Oh good. My, my gut was confirmed, but you know, like we were on a board call once and he was like, I saw you on TV. You were actually pretty good. And I was like, what's the, what's the actually for? <laughs> that like language, either, once again, back to Yeah. Language. So language. So he's like, either say nothing or say nothing. Right. Yeah. Like I actually don't need your compliments. Like, I use compliments and insults kind of, they all go in the same bucket. Um, but like, so they're just little, little things that kind of, you just ignore because if, if I, if I let them sort of make an imprint on my spirit, I would go insane. So like, I, I only exert energy for people who are, who deserve the energy. Yeah, for sure. That's great. And that's not always easy, but like, you know, I've gotten really good at it. Turning 40 is like, and it was like a miracle drug. And everyone keeps saying turning 50 is like even better and turning 60 is like the best yeah. and turning 70 is like, you know, and so it's like my filter and my, <laughs> right, right, exactly. But it's like, what you know, it? my threshold for BS and nonsense is Very diminishing by big the day. Time. And, right, I me too. and also for, uh, and from, I, I mean, it. my half is for myself as well. Like doing these podcasts is very interesting. Listening to my voice. I'm like, am I, did I really say that? I'm going to find that. I'm sure when I listen to this <laughs> yeah. again, I'm like, well, Charlie, shush. Shush, just stop talking. <laughs> well, that's what I feel about reading things I've written from years ago. And I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, what now? Like, that's what makes me nervous about, you know, I have this sometimes I have writer's block because it's like writing seems so permanent, you know? Yeah. And like, I respect so many writers from, you know, obviously I respect Baldwin. He wrote years ago and his stuff still holds up. Yeah. Twain still holds up. But there are a lot of people just like musicians, right? And just like actors. It's like things you did or things you said or comedians, right? It's like, it doesn't hold up over time. That's why like the great comedians... You can listen to yeah. 40 years later yeah. and it still holds up. You know, like you look, you listen to certain early Eddie Murphy. It's like, uh, this doesn't hold up, dude. Yeah. Like you, you're like <laughs> some of it, some of it does. Like some no, of it, it's, it's like, of the period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's like, sometimes I write things and you know, I have like a weekly column for the Amsterdam news, which is like the oldest black newspaper in, in New York. Um, and, and one of the oldest in the country. And like, you know, I've written, it's a weekly column. So like, keep on, I got to, Say something 52 times a year. I'm not always going to be a bullseye. And so, you know, I've been doing this for like six or seven years now. So it's like I read some of my earlier columns and I'm like, girl, <laughs> little girl, what are you talking? What are you talking about? Do you know what you're talking about? No. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, listen, it's all about extending grace. You know, as my therapist, I was telling my therapist, I'm like, hey, it's a global pandemic. And she was like, Chrissy, I think we're leaning on that phrase a lot. <laughs> and I was like, hey, yeah. but it is. <laughs> it still is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But um, it's, it's a, a, I mean, you're very, like, we're going we're gonna to wrap up very soon. Uh, but there's just one more thing I want to ask you, which I ask everyone at the oh. end, right? So firstly, but there's two, because it was just in answer to this, what you just said, which is, 
you are very at peace with you, who you are these days. You are very, you know, you're, it seems, I don't know, I'm, I, that's a question, it's not a statement. Was that you knocking over the Oh yeah, I am. I feel great. You do? And, and, I th and do you think <laughs> that do. doing all the work that you've done on, on, on presenting yourself and podcasts and television and stuff like that has helped you to come to terms, not to come to terms with, but, you know, be more at peace? Yeah, and I think also, you know, my dad always jokes around because he's he'll be 75 in December, but he's always like, hey, I'm in the fourth quarter. So it's like, hey, dad, do you want to like come to New York and like have dinner? Yeah, I'm in the fourth quarter. You know, you want to go to the theater? Hey, I'm in the fourth quarter. What is so the like fourth essentially quarter? the fourth quarter of his life. Oh, like, you okay, know, if, right, we're, if right. we're playing sports, yeah. like he's in the fourth quarter. So it's like, let's just enjoy things. Yeah. You know, he's like, my whole, my whole point is to like enjoy my kids, enjoy my grandkids. So. I think that right now I'm like, I, it feels like the halfway mark. Mm. I don't know if we're lucky it's the halfway mark, right? Yeah, sure. Um, it feels kind of like the halfway mark if we sort of go into our 80s, maybe 90s, but we're not guaranteed, you know? So it's like, I don't have time to be around people that I don't want to be around for extended periods of time to do things I don't want to do. I mean, obviously, listen, I got to go to work. I'm not going to, you know, no. sort of have a tin can. Like, everyone pay my bills. But, you know, it's like I got divorced recently and it's, I, there's no beef against my ex. But it's just sort of like, hey, if we're going to do, like, this this doesn't seem like the thing that we need to do for the next several decades. It's been great. I mean, you've just beautifully <laughs> segued into my final question, which is related to one of the song that I always end up, the question, the last question on which is letter from my future self. And it's a, it's, a, it's a letter that I wrote to myself when I'm 84 to now. And, okay. and telling my, giving myself a, a little bit of advice as an 84-year-old, which is quite difficult to do when you're not actually living right. in the future. <laughs> but you just perfectly segued into that final question. Um, what would your, let's say, 84, 90-year-old self write to you today? Yeah. If you can... Envisage that. Well, two things. One, and this is what I think has been so helpful about COVID and like lockdown. Time is merely a construct. Exactly. So it's like when I'm 84 or 90, I don't necessarily have to feel 84 or 90. So it's like, and you know, hey, listen, I'm black, so I, I probably won't even look it. So I might as well just like, but it is something I, I did a meditation the other day and she said something about like, you know, Lengthen your body, your permanent home. And I loved that because it was sort of like, this is kind of just the shell. We can change, obviously, and we change how we think, we change how we feel. But like this physical body actually is the permanent home. Yeah. So like I'm always telling my students, I'm like, take care of your teeth. Like yeah, <laughs> you don't want to spend a ton of money. I'm like, take care of your eyes. You know, like I, I think my eyes have like deteriorated in the last three years because of so much screen time. But it's like you know, stretch and do all the things so that the permanent home can actually let us keep up with the mental agility that we hope we'll have yeah, at yeah, the age yeah, of 90. Yeah, yeah. And then also the, the, the second piece that I think I'm getting better at, I'm not great at it, but I'm getting much better at it. It's like, I'm extending myself grace. And the more I do that, the, the better I am at extending other people grace. But it's like, can listen, just, just, I forgot to call you back. Describe exactly it's what you just mean like, by that. Just not being so hard on myself, yeah. not doing the things that I said I was supposed to do. Mm. And by that, I mean, okay, I meant to text you yesterday, but I'm texting you today. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I meant to send that email yesterday. I opened up my computer this morning. I realized I forgot to hit send. And I was about to be like, Chrissy, you were supposed to send it yesterday. And it's like, guess what? It's less than 24 hours. They'll live. Yeah. <laughs> like... It's not that big of a deal. So like extending myself grace. So the more I do that with myself, the more I do it with not just my students, but like other people in my orbit. And so now when people like, you know, cancel plans, they're like, you know, I'm so sorry. And I was like, hey, 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 no excuse needed. Sometimes you don't feel like doing the thing you said you were going to do. Yeah. We may have had dinner plans and we made them two weeks ago and the day came and you don't feel like it. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. Like, just sort of letting people know. But, you know, people are like, but, you know, I know your schedule and I know how you get. And I was like, hey, I may have gotten annoyed before that, like, if you canceled plans, you know, because like, there is a certain element, fine, respect our time. But at the same time, it's like, 
You don't have to come up with an excuse. No. And I think it's like, about being at peace oh, with who okay. you are. The more you realise yeah. that, the more you are actually as you are and, and at peace with it. But what you yeah. said, I love what you said about time because I, I just, uh, it helped me write the song, you know, realising. I was like, yeah. well, hang on a minute. If I'm writing the song, if I'm writing this letter at 84 years old to myself now, that means I'm still here, which yeah. means... Everything's fine, you know. And so and I actually compressed all of the future yeah. and the, my, and my past into this present moment and realised, actually, this is really all that matters. Of course, that's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. The present moment is the only thing we can really trust. It's, and that's and I'm trying to get so much better about being in the present and not a thinking too much, wallowing about the past. And that's not really my thing. My thing is usually trying to prospect too much mm. and like think about the future too much, yeah. you know, and like what I should be doing to get there. But I think there's sort of one, I've always said ever since like my teens, I've always said the best I'm going to look and feel is in my sixties. Like that was always going to be like my peak season. And then we go from there. But it was like, so everything in my life has actually just been working towards my sixties. Cause I'm like, that's when I'm going to look amazing. That's when I'm going to be <laughs> the smartest I'm ever going to be. Like, I just, I've always sort of put that as like my Mount Rushmore of like yeah. badassery. But then too, like whenever I would ask my grandfather, like how's he, how he's doing. And I said this to the security guard yesterday when I was going to my office and he's like, hey, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. You know, I haven't been going to the office regularly because of COVID. Um, and so now that we're back in session. So, you know, I always say hi to like the janitors and security guards and we have our little chit chats. And he's like, how you been? And I was like, hey, just as my grandfather used to always say, I'm among the living and the working. I got no complaints. <laughs> it's like, because the thing is, it's like, it's a blessing to have both. There's so many people who didn't make it through COVID who yeah. just, you know, for whatever reason aren't here. And then like, you know, Yes, we have to work for a living. Like, I don't have, you know, just money to, like, not ever have to work again. But there are a lot of people who would love to be working. And there are a lot of people who would love to be working at a job that they love. Like, both of us are doing the thing yeah. when we were 20 years old, when we met. You're doing the thing that you said you really wanted to do. I'm doing the thing that I said I really wanted to do, which, like, makes me so happy and so proud. You know, when we were, like, starving, broke student, broke artist. And now it's like, you're in your cabin. I'm in Brooklyn, like, yeah. in my home. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's, it's great. So, so, so just to, just to finalize, the, 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 the one short message that you're going to be giving yourself is time is relative. Enjoy what's going Extends on right now. And, and, the, and, the, and, and what, your, what your grandpa said. I'm among the living and the working. No yeah. complaints. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Dr. Christina Greer. I oh, thank say. you for having me, Charlie. <laughs>